Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College. And I'm Dr. Jana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And we're here in London together. We are here attending a conference, and the conference is the European Association for Research and Learning and Instruction, the Special Interest Group on Neuroscience and Education, or more simply, just early. And since we're here and there are tons of neuroscience researchers and cognitive science researchers and teachers and policymakers all really interested in applying science to education and evidence-based practice, we are conducting interviews with teachers, with researchers and policymakers. And so we are recording live at the conference. And so you'll be listening to a number of interviews, and please excuse the background noise because we are quite literally in the middle of this conference, just in a small little room, recording with people on the fly. So hi, we are in London at the early conference talking with Emma Blakey. So Emma, if you could just introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background and, and your work, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's Emma. I'm a developmental psychologist and a lecturer at the University of Sheffield in the UK. And my research is focused on trying to understand how children learn to control and regulate their behavior. And I'm particularly interested in looking at these skills in young children. So if any of you have been around young children, you'll know that they find it hard to regulate their behavior. They find it hard to take turns. They find it hard to delay gratification. Um, And the reason for this is that the skills um, that regulate our attention and our behavior are very slow to develop. So they're slow to develop over childhood. And I'm really interested in finding out more about how these skills develop and how, how they support children's learning. Yeah, so uh, you talked about executive functioning a little bit ago. Yeah, so if you could just maybe explain what that, it's an umbrella term. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So um, the, the technical term that psychologists use to describe how children come to regulate and control their behavior is executive function. And this is this umbrella term, as you describe, that dis- that explains the set of different skills that support the ability to control our attention and our behavior. And we can think of executive function as comprised in three different skills. So there's working memory, which is a skill that allows children to maintain and process information in mind. There's inhibitory control, which allows children to suppress inappropriate but automatic responses. So if you get presented with a big chocolate cake, but you know you've got to share it with other people, you've got to suppress that tendency to just dive right in and eat that chocolate cake. That would be a kind of everyday example of that. And then there's also a third executive function known as cognitive flexibility. And this allows us to switch our attention and our behavior in line with different goals or changes in the environment. And so as researchers, when we look at executive functions, we often think about it as these three main skills and we look at how these three skills develop over childhood. Yeah, so so that's fascinating. And we know that our listeners and, and those who are interested in our work are often interested in very young children and our expertise is is for the kids that are maybe a little bit older and, and moving towards adulthood. So if you could tell us a little bit just in general about how these things develop in young young children, that would be fantastic. Yeah, sure. So I, I've mentioned already that these skills are quite slow to develop over childhood, so they don't really fully mature until late adolescence. But we do see really rapid improvements in executive function during the preschool age. So between the ages of three and four, children just seem to be much better able to control and regulate their behavior 
and this has been linked to improvements in language but also improvements in regions of the brain that support executive functions so there's big growth spurts in the prefrontal cortex during this time which have been linked to children's ability to regulate their behavior um, so again yeah if there's listeners that work that are parents or work with children of this age range you might notice that there is this shift between three and four and the reason why we're also interested in this age range is that this is um, the age in the UK where children go from a kind of really informal school atmosphere where they're at nursery or preschool and they just kind of play in most of the day and then they go to they start formal school in around four or five and so what we found in our research and what a lot of other researchers have found is that children's ability to regulate their behavior so their executive functions during this time really predicts and is important for how they adjust to this more formal school environment so basically the children who have better executive functions are better able to regulate their attention and their behavior and this has been linked to how well they're able to adjust to school or in other words their school readiness yeah so if a if a young child is maybe developing a little bit slower or maybe is a little bit younger in terms of when they were born um, during the school year going to school might actually be problematic if they're a little too young yeah yeah so they might find it hard to focus their attention in a classroom environment and kind of drown out distractions so to use their inhibitory control to um, really focus and, and ignore distracting information in their environment but also when children start formal school they're often required to switch a lot in the classroom between different tasks and a really nice example of this is when they're doing maths um, in school and they're having to go between adding up numbers to subtracting numbers and to multiplying numbers and having to constantly switch between these different tasks and that's going to place quite a lot of heavy demands on their cognitive flexibility. Um, So for younger children this is going to be particularly difficult but another thing that children have to do when they start school is they start to have to process a lot more information in the classroom and so working memory again comes into this because we can think about working memory as our mental workspace so the amount of information that we retain in our heads Um, and often in a classroom environment there's quite heavy demands on children to remember say an instruction and or or a particular piece of information that they need to do a particular activity and for children who who maybe are a little bit younger or who struggle with executive functions because there are big individual differences in these skills um, they're going to find just learning um, in that environment more difficult. Yeah, so I want to kind of take take a little side road, um, if that's okay. So you you mentioned the switching, and the switching is uh, one of the strategies that we that we talk about and that cognitive psychologists have identified as being particularly effective. Although, at least the research that I'm familiar with is of kids that are maybe ten years old, nine or ten, and then going up into Um, I guess sort of GCSE, A-level, high school um, for the U.S. and then up into college. And so the idea there is that switching back and forth can actually be helpful. So helpful for learning, helpful for recognizing similarities and differences and and when to be flexible. Um, And so I'm wondering about what you think in terms of the younger kids, how that how that plays a role in their their learning and their development. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think one really important thing to mention is that the difficulties in switching come from the fact when there's a lot of overlap 
between the tasks that children are switching between. So if you're switching between, say, doing English to doing mathematics, there's not going to be much overlap there. And so the challenge of kind of switching from one subject to a very different subject or learning one piece of information to learning a very different piece of information, the demands there are not going to be too high. So I can see why that might be beneficial in terms of student engagement if you're wanting to kind of split your subject up into different tasks or different activities. The challenge really comes in in terms of cognitive flexibility when there's a lot of overlap between either the content or the material that children are trying to learn. So again, um, I think maths is a really good example of this because it's quite concrete. So if you're switching between um, adding up numbers to subtracting numbers and you're working with the same numbers, so say a child has to go from doing two add three to then doing three minus two, they're working with exactly the same material and so they, they might learn to associate some kind of material with a particular operation or a particular task. So then when they're having to switch to do something else, that's going to trigger what they were doing before. So it's going to make it a lot harder to then switch and do something else. But if they're working with completely different numbers, then that's going to be a lot easier um, to switch between those tasks. Yeah, and that's actually great that you mentioned that because the interleaving, which is the the uh, strategy that Megan mentioned, that research has all been done with math, mostly. And so the idea there is that it's much easier when they are blocking it, and so they're doing lots and lots of, let's say, addition, and then doing lots and lots of subtraction, and they get up to like 100% doing that, but then later on, they haven't learned how to actually do either one, because they've been, um, you know, only getting to practice it in these long chunks where they're doing the same thing over and over again. And so they're mixing it up, it makes their performance lower during learning, but then there's no forgetting. And so I guess, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you think that would happen with these younger kids and also yeah. kids with potentially executive functioning in the long run, sort of rather than just during learning. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's quite a challenging question because I think when we talk about development, there's, there's really different things happening in younger children compared to older children. And so for younger children, if, if the demands of the task are too high, they're just not going to be able to learn the material. Whereas for older children, they might have a better capacity to be able to switch between different tasks. And so that's going to be a bit easier um, and they might remember the information better. Yeah, well, and this really just highlights something that has been a theme at this conference really which is that the answer is not going to be simple and if someone gives you a very simple straightforward answer um, there it's it's probably oversimplified yeah yeah and you've got to think about the age, the age is really important so in terms of educational tips and practice it might work for one age group but not another age group so I think being aware of the different cognitive skills that are developing during this time and the different demands that children are facing based on their own limitations is really important when you take into account these different educational advice and tips yeah and it might even just be a measure uh, um, it just might be a matter of making sure that the the way the strategy is being used is appropriate for that developmental period. So perhaps interleaving, you can start out right from the get-go, um, interleaving some of these things with older children, and, and they it's good to give them that difficulty if they're getting about 80%. It 
the difficulty might help them notice similarities and differences when there's overlap. But with younger kids, you might need to do a bit of blocking first and maybe more so of that. Or maybe the interleaving needs to start a little slower and you're interleaving things that are very different before you're interleaving things that are together. Lots of open questions there, I think. Yeah, so I guess with the younger children, interleaving might work if you're interleaving, say, between um, subtraction and, and multiplication, but you're working with different numbers. So then the demands on executive function would be lower, but then you're still getting um, this evidence that we see from educational research that this is an important practice for learning. Yeah, and actually that's a really fascinating point because um, I've been interested in exploring whether what differs between the interleaved material actually makes a difference. So you're mentioning, for example, interleaving two different strategies but making sure the numbers are different so the strategies are more distinct. I'm interested what would then happen if you had the same numbers because you know one hypothesis is that that would actually help students to distinguish between the different operations because instead of tying it to the specific numbers they're making sure they understand the strategy but that might be too too much it might be too much for the younger children so i think you've got to be confident that they know Mm. um that their operations first yeah yeah and potentially it could you know will be different for individual children and how much their executive function has developed and yeah absolutely so i think part of part of one message that we're trying to get out there for teachers i guess is to be aware that some children will struggle with their executive functions even if we would expect these skills to be developed by a certain time point there are still individual differences in these skills um, and one quite common problem that we see in terms of classroom practice is that teachers can often think that if a child's been really inattentive for example and really easily distracted they might think that that child has say adhd But if that inattentiveness and distractibility is not linked with hyperactive behaviour, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this this might not be ADHD, it actually might be a working memory problem. So there's... um, Susan Gathercole at Cambridge has done a lot of work on this actually trying to identify children who have working memory problems and trying to separate those out from children who have ADHD Um, and so I I think this in general is not something that um, is very common or heard about this kind of idea that we can have a group of children who struggle with working memory they don't have the hyperactivity but they have the inattentiveness and so trying to find ways to support those children is I think a really important challenge for future research. Yeah it's, it's tricky there's no learning pill right? so there's not no um and and we've actually been looking into this recently in our lab at Sheffield so we've been looking at whether we can improve executive functions because a lot of our work is suggesting that they're really important for learning so we've we've just finished a study where we found that for four-year-olds executive function skills predict their their mathematical skills even before they start formal schooling so in nursery so then the question is well for children who are struggling how can we get them up to speed and how can we support their executive functions um and I think if you years ago the idea was that it might be this kind of magic bullet in terms of cognitive training and this kind of held a lot of promise but we've been doing some studies recently on this and trying to see if we can improve executive functions via cognitive training study approaches so the idea is there that you give children these cognitive tasks that are demanding and you get them to do these over a period of time and the idea is that just like exercise this will increase some kind of capacity and we're just finding that it's not working it's just not working with younger children it's like brain games yeah yeah 
with the adults, it seems that um, brain games work to get you better at that brain game. Yes, there's no transfer, yes. So what psychologists call transfer, and that's a really key part of these studies, is working out whether the thing that you're getting trained on, does that actually actually lead to improvements on other tasks rather than the tasks that you're trained on? Um, so when we're evaluating these studies, one thing that we look for is, does the study um, look at whether performance improves on very different tasks and that's really key and there's not a lot of evidence that it does yeah I know um, this comes up in discussions with older adults as well so the uh, you know just across the board and I remember talking to my grandparents when I was taking I think cognitive psychology as an undergraduate and um, my my grandparents were asking me I think it was my grandfather asking me about different types of you know brain training and, and memory stuff and I remember sort of saying well if you want to be really good at Sudoku you can play Sudoku yes <laughs> But, you know, it's not going to lead to benefits probably in everyday life. Um, I think, yeah, the evidence is there's there's more and more studies coming out in recent years for this across development. So looking at um, really young children, right the way, as you say, to elderly people. And it's just looking like this kind of promise that we we thought originally that this would be a really great way to do this. But it's just not looking like it is. Yeah, and I I wrote a blog somewhat recently, within the last year or so, um, about sort of these general training, and it was just a blog about a review paper looking at a number of studies where they were seeing if, say, training in music was related to math achievement or being a chess expert was going to be related to other, other skills, and the answer was pretty much no, but that doesn't mean that chess isn't valuable and that music isn't valuable in its own way it's just that training in music doesn't necessarily make you better in math yeah that's true I think when when you're giving children a training program where they're doing some kind of educational activity or fun game like chess um, yeah I think it's still important to recognize that those skills might be valuable the problem with cognitive training study approaches I think is that they often involve bringing children out of the classroom and doing quite very very specific cognitive tasks that even you know you might say they might not show any benefit but is the game in itself educational and often they're not and we know from research that just attending school is really important and so by actually taking children out of the classroom this could actually be having kind of a negative effect so I think that's also something you've got to look at when you think about how how might we improve these kind of domain general skills um, in terms of the actual activity that children are doing is it something that's valuable or educational yeah so so if you are a teacher or a parent of a young child and you think you've maybe identified um, a potential issue with executive functioning in the child or, or maybe you think they might be exceptional in terms of their executive functioning for their developmental stage what what would you say to those teachers or parents yeah that's a really good question um, and, and one that I'm, I'm really interested in at the moment so I think there's a couple of different approaches so if you've got a child who's struggling with executive function one thing that we think might be important is trying to scaffold the environment or adapt the environment that they're in in a way that will be supportive of executive functions and so for example one way a teacher might do this is by having classroom checklists making sure information's written down if if the child is at a reading age so they're not having to maintain lots of information in their head if it's if it's an activity that requires a lot of instructions Um, If they're doing maths, using things like a number line, so having visual aids to support children when they're doing maths. 
or, or when you're teaching a subject, just trying to think about how that information is presented in a way where demands on working memory are not going to be high and there's not much distracting information that might mean the child's attention is diverted. So I think that's really important in terms of helping children who are struggling. For children who have particularly good executive functions, then it might make sense to try and challenge executive functions in a classroom environment. And for there, there's not been much research on this, but there has been um, a few studies published recently, I think with an Australian research team, where they've been looking about how you can embed executive function tasks into classroom activities. So they've been doing things like in story time, for example, while you're reading a book to a child, getting them to repeat back what you said, or getting them to play games Games that involve inhibitory control, for example, Simon Says is a really popular one where you're having to do the opposite of what a person says. So these kind of childlike fun games that involve executive functions might be a good way to try and challenge children who, who have particularly good executive functions, but we just don't have the evidence yet to know. So that would be my suggestion, but it's I think we need to do a lot more research to try and see, well, is that actually an effective way? Um, and is, is it, you know, is it something that can be easily embedded into a classroom and does it lead to any benefits? Yeah, so I think it's really great to remember that the science is still evolving and there's kind of always going to be more research and we should be, you know, taking the information that we have and making the best recommendations that we can um, because, of course, we can't wait until science is done. I don't know if that will ever happen. But at the same time, you know, we don't we don't want to completely jump the gun if something's not ready. Yeah, it might make sense. I mean, as a teacher, it might make sense to try things out in your own classroom. And I think that's one thing that I've really got from the conference today. So the conference that we're at here in London, there's been presentations from teachers who are actually running kind of mini studies in their classroom um, and seeing how these things are working for their children. And, and I've just been really inspired by that approach. Um, and, and I think it just empowers teachers to be able to try these activities in their classroom and see what works for their own children. Yeah, and just being knowledgeable that kids at this age, um, developmentally, maybe are not, they're not all in the same place, and they're certainly not where, you know, a 10-year-old might be, and so being able to kind of think, well, maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's this executive functioning, maybe it's developmental, maybe there's a problem, just sort of that type of information can really help even find more resources if there's a child or a group of children um, that you might be concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it also is a good message for parents and teachers who are working with three-year-olds just to know that it's not their fault if they can't regulate their behaviour well because often it can be really frustrating if you're you're around a child and they're finding it hard to you know switch their behaviour or take turns or share. Um, but the fact is we know that their executive functions are not yet developed yet. So I think um, it's just good to be aware that it's something that they can't help and it's something that will develop with, with time. And, and even though there are individual differences in, in the rate at which these skills develop, um, children are going to eventually end up at that same level. It just might take a little bit of time. Yeah, there's a reason that um, the toddler phase is is difficult. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so if you just sort of in an overarching way, if you had one sort of takeaway or one one big message for teachers or maybe or maybe parents about your work, what would sort of your one takeaway be? I think just being aware of what executive functions are, that these skills um, take time to develop, and that when you're, when you're a teacher in a classroom or you're a parent and you're trying to teach your child or get them to learn something, being aware that they might there might be limitations in their executive functions that mean that they're finding it hard to learn the material. So if there are ways that you can minimise the demands on executive function, then that will probably be a really successful strategy in helping them learn that material. 
Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. Oh, it's been really fun. Thank you for having me. The Learning Scientist podcast is funded by The Wellcome Trust.